Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know why I am. I am joined, as I am always joined, by the maternal, motivated, and mirthful Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I am feeling mutilated. Mutilated? I mean, yeah. I heard you were in the city that never sleeps for a little while. I was in the city that never sleeps for almost a week, and there was very little sleeping going on. And with the time change and everything, I, I don't even know where I am. But you know what? We're going to podcast anyway, because that's what we do. That's right. That's right. Because you know we're just a week away, also out from QCC, and it was a really good time. Uh, too yeah. bad you weren't there. We missed you. I, I missed you guys as well. All right. Well, with that being said, let's get into some announcements before getting to our main topic today, which is talking about where are all the DMs based on a article that popped up on N World, mm-hmm. or at least a thread that popped up on N World. It was very fascinating and interesting. But like I said first, two announcements. Uh, the Creature Codec Layers from Cobalt Press. Uh, there are, These are nine layers using the monsters from the Cobalt Press's Creature Codex. They cover adventures from levels 1 through 10. And there are a variety of different types of layers which go from investigations to dungeon crawls. And Sean, uh, did you write on this product? I wrote the whole product. You wrote the whole product. Yeah, that's. I did not know I had written the whole product until I just saw the announcement yesterday. Uh, I didn't know whether these layers were going to be used for, uh, you know, for Cobalt Press in, in in different ways. So I got, I saw a tweet that had me tagged in it and showed the cover, and it was just my name. So I wrote all nine of the layers. Wow, that's impressive. That's pretty cool. So yeah, uh, how was the, how was working on that project? It was really fun. I worked on the previous book of layers for the uh, for the previous monster book, um, and that was a ton of fun. And so uh, they sent me the maps for the layers and gave me a list of monsters to use and said, go to town. And to town I went. So anything that you could think of from levels 1 to 10 and, you know, uh, some straight-up dungeon crawls, some more investigative type of uh, layers, they're all there. And one of the layers is actually a double-length layer. So you can almost turn it into a a small adventure if you want. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. You know... Speaking of things that you were working on, you were also in the most recent um, issue of Warlock from Cobalt Press. Yes, we did a an issue on the Fake Quartz. So uh, I love that that little easy or that little zine kind of feel of that book, and it's pretty cheap. You can get it for just a buck if you back their uh, Patreon, and you know there's lots of good stuff in it with lots of good writers. So it's really true. It's a it's a nice little product. It is my. Uh, in my opinion, is the second best zine that is out there on the market right now. And the only reason I say that is because I don't really know if I would consider Codex from the Gauntlet a zine. It's like this really polished, fully produced, full color, fully edited thing with like games inside of it and stuff. This uh, Warlock does exactly what it's trying to do, which is it cre- evokes the idea of the old black and white zine. Yep. Yeah, the ones that you used to pass around, you know, when you were playing first edition and you know, doing stuff with your friends and just kind of word of mouth stuff, but you know, it's, it's nice. Cobalt press does a great job with it. It's just black and white uh, with black and white art, but oh, it's but, still got but, all the good stuff. But that black and white art is gorgeous. That cover really is. is 
Yeah. The cover on the most recent one is amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to the next thing. Um, the D&D survey, the new one is out. I took it yesterday. Have you taken it yet? I did. I took it yesterday as well. Man, you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, it really takes a while to do because they are digging deep for information about your um, your intake of D&D, as, as it were. Uh, it covers what you love about D&D, how you consume D&D, things you want, um, you know, things that you're looking forward to. Just keep in mind as you're taking it, it will take a while, so block off a half hour of your time to do it. And keep in mind that surveys like this are how companies decide their direction. So if you want to see D&D go in a certain direction, come out with certain products, um, ways that they interact with their fans, let them know what you prefer and what you want to see because this is their way of talking to you through these surveys. Um, and I thought it was interesting to note that one of the questions was, you know, how much have you spent through these different avenues, whether it be Amazon or you know, your local game store or big box bookstores? And one thing that they didn't put was the DMs Guild as a as a vendor. And I'm wondering if they left that off on purpose because they already have all the information they need about how much they're selling on the DMs Guild, or if it was an oversight that they, they left it off. I put DMs Guild in the other box. Yep. A lot of people did put other DMs Guild just to let Watsy know that, yes, we are buying stuff on the DMs Guild, and we would love to see more avenues for uh, getting content. Yeah, it was a really fascinating survey. Uh, it's definitely one that is like, all right, we're going to figure out if we're on the right track with everything and going where you folks think we should be going. And if not, we'll probably course correct a little bit to get where we think you folks want us to go. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, D&D is a game that has a lot of different avenues of participation. So make sure you let Wizards know how you participate. Sean, do you wanted to say thanks for to some people about something? I did. Uh, while I was in Vegas... They, I saw that Treasure of the Broken Horde, um, my for, uh, fifth season five Adventures League intro adventure, um, hit four times platinum. So platinum is a thousand sales. So that means it has sold over four thousand copies. Uh, it's one of my best reviewed and and widely commented on adventures. So I really do appreciate the support out there for not just Adventures League content, but people who use it for their own uh, home games. So thanks so much for all that support. Very cool. That's that's really cool. Congratulations, by the way. I mean, you are Thank an you. excellent excellent writer and designer. Like, I mean, it's no, it's not a mistake that you've sold thousands and thousands of copies of things. I I just appreciate being able to pay my rent. Yeah, I know, right? Um, last thing, uh, WPN and digital release of Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So Dragon Heist is now uh, going to be out as soon as this mm-hmm. episode is available. And it's apparently getting amazingly good reviews. Uh, the, the Maps Insider by Dyson. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to talk about this in a, in a future episode. I can't wait, wait to uh, really get my hands on it and take a look. But I love Dyson logo maps, so that's that's really cool. Yep. Um, and it's got a bunch of it's apparently got a bunch of colorful characters into it. In, in it, it's like kind of over the top in certain ways. Like I, I really am looking forward to getting my hands on it and seeing how they structured it. Yeah, newbie DM put up a quick Twitter review, and he said. You know, this is really almost like a fourth core rule book. Um, you know, uh, not fourth core in in the sense of fourth edition battle game, but a, a another core rule book that really 
tells DMs and shows DMs how to run a cool campaign more so than the other uh, adventures have. So at some point we will take a look at this book and discuss it uh, on, on our show. But that is one of the early reviews that I saw that intrigued me. Yeah, and the Guild of Depths, they did something else to go along with it so far? Yep, uh, right out of the gate, we had a supplement ready called Waterdeep City Encounters. So this is not an adventure, but it is it is a series of encounters that take place in different parts of Waterdeep. So if you're running a Waterdeep campaign and you know your characters are going to be traveling through Dock Ward um, for a certain part of the adventure and you want to throw in a few extra encounters you can just go it's got a nice chart where you can roll randomly or select specific encounters and you have a ready-made encounter to throw at your players um, they take place all over and they they're all uh, also uh, variable so you could roll a d4 and have different say a different kind of parade go through the city um so there's lots of different ways to get random encounters from this one supplement. I'm really looking forward to uh, picking that up then and checking that out. I mean, I love urban adventures and things like that. So this is all really fascinating stuff to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, in a city, it's it's fun to kind of do a hex crawl, but a city crawl, if you, if you will. Um, yeah, a city hex just... crawl. Yep, where you're just kind of wandering through the city and anything could happen. Mm-hmm. And stories emerge from that, right? Like that's Absolutely. a really, really cool kind of emergent play. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into our main topic for the evening, which is where are all the Dungeon Masters? So uh, this is just a post out there by an Italian from Emerald. And um, it was in the news, and it's, it's fascinating. It's asking about why... Uh, why, if there's going to be enough game masters, dungeon masters in the future, because of the exploding popularity of role playing games, especially Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. uh, and then it talks a little bit about you know why why it's hard to get into dungeon mastering and and some of the challenges and hurdles. Uh, does that sound about right? Yeah, it's when you think about it, D and D is a very weird phenomenon in the sense that you do need this DM for the most part to facilitate play and so if you have a lack of dms that creates this bottleneck where people can't um, enjoy game play they can still watch online they can still do crafts they can still do other stuff associated with the hobby but to actually play the game you do need that dm so uh, it's always i know it's always on the mind of the people at wizards of the coast you know are we creating a game that's easy for DMs to run, that's fun for DMs to run. How do we help them help us <laughs> make the game? Uh huh. All right. So l- let me ask you the first question, then, and we'll talk about this mm-hmm. a little bit. Is do you really think in the future there'll be a shortage of uh, dungeon masters? I I think that there is always a shortage of dungeon masters. I don't think there's ever been a surplus, um, and I think that there are more avenues to get DMs than there used to be because you can always go online and play. Mm -hmm. So that's helped. But I think that there will never be enough Dungeon Masters to fully uh, engage all the people that would really love to play. I would agree with that, I suppose. I don't know. I just don't have... um... 
I can see it from a from from a logical point of view, mm. I, and I, I know that it's a thing that's existed in the in the in the past in certain ways. Because you know, there's always those comments about like, I'm the only person in my community that dungeon masters right or that runs games. Right. Uh, I just don't happen to have that experience very often. Right. Like yeah. I always, I also always wanted to be the dungeon master. So, mm-hmm. and you know, you live in Buffalo, where right now there is a renaissance of games going going on. Yes. You can go to so many stores on so many days, and there is a game waiting for you. Um, but t- even then, even then, sometimes there's waiting lists, right, for players who, who you know, there aren't quite enough DMs to meet the need. In, in some cases, that's because there's not enough space in the stores, right? This is true, too. <laughs> and one of the things when you talk about a shortage of DMs, I think you're also talking about not just there being a physical DM, but there being a DM who you would be comfortable playing with who runs a game in the style that you want to play. So I think there's nuances of this question that could be explored um, a little bit. And we probably will as, as we talk about the, uh, this topic over the next half hour or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will play devil's advocate then mm-hmm. because I, I agree with you, but I'm just going to take the other side for, for a second where I think that there's probably never going to be a shortage of dungeon masters slash game masters. And the reason I believe that to be true, um, even with the exploding number of people playing role-playing games, is because there are many more ways out there than there ever have been um, for us to learn how to run games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all those, and not only are there many more ways, they're very accessible ways. Like it used to be that the only way you could learn was either by reading the book or by um, getting into a game and playing it for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And that is not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Because of the internet. Thank you, internet. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that's completely true, but that would be my counterpoint to that. Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely agree that it is easier than ever to learn how to DM and learn how to DM well based on the tools that people have at their disposal. I mm-hmm. think that's totally true. You just have to have the, then have the will to want to do it and be comfortable sitting down in front of a group of players or in front of your computer if you play online and and do the job mm-hmm. absolutely all right now let's talk about if there if there isn't enough and we want to uh have more dungeon masters in the world um how we might go about like encouraging people to learn the skill uh there are whole podcasts i mean and i don't mean like episodes of podcasts but entirety of podcasts themselves that are just dedicated to the idea of of um, helping people run games, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not going to be able to do all of it in one episode. In fact, we've done some of our some of that work on Down with D&D before where we're like, well, if you're going to run games, here's some ways to make it easier on you. Sure. But um, I think the first thing that you need to do if you're going to start like learning to Dungeon Master or helping people to understand how to Dungeon Master is understanding the function of the Dungeon Master because you can't do anything unless you know what you're kind of doing. And in a lot of cases, the um, function... Like the what the dungeon master does at the table is a very very mystical and unknown thing, <laughs> and it's not really true. But no. there's a lot of moving parts to being a DM. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, from Master of the Game by Gary Gygax, he named a bunch of them, and they're actually pretty accurate. I think it covers a lot of the things that we do, even as even in this modern day and age, for running games of any kind, including Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, do you know which passage I'm talking about? Uh, yes. All right. Would you agree with that before I start dis- uh, saying what they all are? No, I, I I think that I think it hasn't changed much over the years. I think it pretty much is 
is as it always has been. Yes. All right. So um, Gary Gygax, he posited that there was a, a set of primary functions and a set of secondary functions that the game master slash dungeon master provided for the game. And I'm going to quickly go through them, and then we'll talk a little bit about them in depth. That's okay with you, Sean. Mm-hmm. All right. So primary functions, they are the moving force, the creator, the designer, the arbiter, the overseer, the director, and the umpire, referee, or judge. And their secondary functions are as the narrator, the interpreter, a force of nature, a personification of non-participant characters, all other personifications, and supernatural power. Mm-hmm. So now let's go through what we just said, because it's a whole mouthful, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's why it seems like such a mystical thing, Yeah, because there are all of these things that you do end up doing as a, as a DM, even though you might not even be aware that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I will say, like, there is no one skill that makes you an excellent dungeon master. It is a collection of skills that you develop and that work together. That mm-hmm. is what makes that is what creates the best dungeon masters out there. Yep. All right, uh, moving force. So that to me is you are the person that keeps the game moving forward in a forward direction, so it doesn't um, stagnate. Does that sound mm-hmm. about right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, the setting the pace, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to yep. do the next one? Uh, the creator. You are the person that it, are in. You are the person who is inventing the things that happen during play, and oftentimes you'll have to take time before play to create those things. Mm -hmm. So that is a thing where you are uh, being creative on the fly and in the moment and also um, preparing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The designer. So you are creating new mechanical parts for the game, from encounters to magic items and all other manner of things in between. Mm -hmm. As the arbiter, you are interpreting the rules and how those rules interact with what the players want to do. Yeah, and we will talk about how that's slightly different from the umpire, referee, and judge in a second, because they are slightly different. They're in the same ballpark, in the same Venn diagram area, but they're not exactly the same. Yep. Um, the overseer, you are making sure that everything during play is fun and enjoyable. So this is like table management in a lot of ways. Like this mm-hmm. is not this is not inside of the game. This this is a little bit more meta game, I, I believe. Yep. Uh, you are also the director. Uh, you're making sure that the game is focused toward the parameters that you as the group established for your play. Mm-hmm. So you're making sure that the spotlight is hitting everyone when it should and that the play is moving in the direction that you and the party want it to go. Yeah, so this is, I mean, we talk a lot about this being like, um, what do we want out of our game? And that often is handled in session zeros these days, if you have a session zero. If not, it is that sort of um, group social type contract that emerges through play. Uh, mm-hmm. Or before play, you know. Either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing, the umpire, referee, judge. This is uh, making calls on situations within and outside of the rules that don't quite fit uh, in 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 the arbitration side of things. So, mm-hmm. arbitrating arbit the arbiter role is like, well, we have rules. Let's make sure that they're being applied. Mm-hmm. The judge, referee, umpire role is like, well, this doesn't quite work. How do we make this work? Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's do some secondary functions now, Sean, which it's interesting that these are called secondary functions because I think all of these things are primary functions these days. Yeah, yeah. So as the narrator, you are describing uh, the situation that the characters find themselves in. You're presenting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that, that's in, in part of this, like, here's the situation of what's going on in a lot of ways. Like, what are you going to do now? So, like, it's, it's the setup. Mm-hmm. Um, interpreter, you are parsing what the 
player characters are trying to accomplish, and then you're also asking clarifying questions and helping the players create this shared vision so that you all understand what's going on at the table at the same time. That is what I believe the interpreter idea is. Right, because if you narrate something, you never can be sure that you that the players understand exactly what you've said. So if they come back with, I want to do X, even though that makes no sense based on what you thought you said, then you have to act as the interpreter to say, well, if you, you by saying you want to do X, I have a feeling you don't understand the situation. So let me interpret for you um, what I, what I see you as meaning. Mm-hmm. And that's either, either interpreting and figuring it out or, you know, um, like I said, asking those clarifying questions so that yep. we can all understand together. Yep. So the force of nature is when you act as not the NPC, but act as the setting itself. Um, so what's the weather like? What are some of the forces that are acting on the, the characters that aren't necessarily people? You have to um, get that across to the, the players as well. Mm-hmm. Is is all those things that are outside of um, it, you're acting as happenstance in the world, right? Like mm-hmm. that is that is how that kind of works. Sure. Um, personification of non-participant characters or non-player characters, as we say these days, uh, the, you are acting as the people in the setting, like all the characters, like you are you are embodying them and doing the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And you also have to take on all other personifications, so talking about the monsters, talking about the things that aren't the setting and aren't the NPCs, but are active participants within the story and the game world. Mm-hmm. And this last one slides into that to a supernatural power. So like you're acting in the name of whatever power exists in the game or setting. So like that, that, that is a, a specified one in D and D because D and D often has a lot of magic to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Or supernatural power, I should say, to it. That's a, that's the better way to describe that in this case. Yep. So the gods, magic, those larger forces that play in the world. Mm-hmm. Which you can make the argument that they are also, you know, you're doing the thing where you're personifying non-participant characters or forces of nature. But it's just a, they don't quite fit into those two categories really well. So they, they get their own, like, here's the catch-all for everything else. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are all the functions of the dungeon master. And there's probably some more that have emerged over time, but that's a pretty comprehensive list. If you ask me, right. Um, and mastering all the skills to make sure that you're doing all these things takes time. Like, uh, it's why nobody's a hundred percent good at this stuff off the bat. Like you can be exceptional at this stuff off the bat, but you can always get better because you can always focus down and figure out how to do all of these things better. Yep, and even the people that have done it for years and years and years and are considered quote-unquote experts in the field um, still have bad days mm-hmm. or still might be a little weaker at one part than another um, because they can come up to against a group that wants to play a game a certain way and be ill-prepared to handle that situation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Sean, I think we should talk about how do we teach these skills um, mm-hmm. Or how do we learn these skills, I suppose, if we're trying to learn to be Dungeon Masters? Um, yep. I have three spaces, really. Um, there are uh, there are streams and actual play podcasts to see a variety of styles of, this ga- of games being played. Mm-hmm. There are um, podcasts that talk about GMing and streams that talk about GMing. So that's like advice type stuff. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And then there is like a lot of blogs and spaces and books out there where you can go and read about it. Sure. So and and it's all got information and advice about how uh, how to run and prepare for for role playing games. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's some examples of that, I suppose. Um, If if I'm going to direct people to some streams and podcasts, the the ones that I would point to is like Matt Mercer from Critical Role, right? Like Mm -hmm. he's probably the most popular one out there, I would imagine. Um, another really, really popular one out there is the Adventure Zone with the the Mickleroys. Like that's a, it's really good too. Like I've been listening to them playing a Monster of the Week. It's quite enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the Venture Maidens on the Don't Slip the Podcast Network with Celeste Conowich as the Dungeon Master. And the reason I bring this stuff up is because um, I would say that these, and, and then the last one I will say is uh, she's a super geek. Our own, she's a super geek with Senda and Andy, because um, and the, the I think these four. Um, examples like you can go listen there's tons of them out there you can find tons of them sure but these four examples provide a wide variety of uh, of play styles because uh, Matt Mercer is a voice actor so he does a lot of voices and things like that but they they do play the game on that show where they like they put miniatures on the map so you can see how that kind of works too they have mm-hmm. sessions that have that kind of stuff going on with it um, the adventure zone has a lot of comedy to it the the venture maidens they have a good mix of theater of the mind style play plus comedy that and um and it's also um, a female-led show, so if you are a woman and you want to see, you know, women run games and play games, that's a good one. And mm-hmm. she's a super geek, sits in that same space, but they all play one-shots, so you can see what what short, short games look like. Mm-hmm. And uh, often a game will highlight a different aspect of GMing. So if you watch a podcast that does one-shots of different games, you can get a feel for um, how those aspects of the game work even if they're not running D and D, absolutely. Like, um, so f- to those ones we just talked about, I feel like Matt Mercer does a really good job of preparing for his games, and then he can also play off of his uh, his group too. But like, you can see what a prepared session looks like in a lot of cases. Whereas on she's a super geek, I know when Senda is running games because you know me and her are really good friends. Like, I know how much she improvises, so you can see what an improvisational style looks like. Sure. Um. All right. And and then of course there's a thousand other ones out there for AP podcasts, right? And streams, and you they'll all be a little different, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, there's was it role play with Adam Coble, like yep. he he's an excellent game master, and he also has a show called Office Hours, which is a GM advice show. But that well now let's talk about GM advice shows. Mm-hmm. Um, these are podcasts which talk about GMing. Like we do that, right, Sean? <laughs> we certainly attempt to. Yeah, we do that sometimes. Um, then there's like the happy fun hour with Mike Merles because it teaches you how to do the design part of things because he's right. showing his design space so that that can hit on that that primary function as a designer so it's a, mm-hmm. a good place to learn that. Um, I'm gonna hit a couple more podcasts: uh, Fear the Boot, the RPG Academy, and the Misdirected Mark podcast. So if Fear the Boot talks about a lot of different games. The RPG Academy a lot of times talks about Dungeons and Dragons in and of itself, and the Misdirected Mark podcast, our show, like. Our, we, we talk about dungeon mastering, game mastering, and designing. So mm-hmm. like that's a thing. And then there's the Gauntlet, which they have a GM master class, and they play a lot of indie games. So, And the reason I bring this stuff up, because I know it's down with D&D, is that you can learn a lot about how to um, facilitate or run games by understanding how other games kind of function and how people run those games, too. Because D&D is not what it used to be, exactly. There's a lot of different ways you can play this game these days, and they all kind of work. Yes. So, so, like, it's good to have all those different tools in your toolkit. Mm-hmm. 
Um, reading about it. You want to talk about some places where we can read about it? Sure. You can read about it on Gnome Stew, which is a great GM advice blog that is run um, by, well, there's a lot of people involved, including you, Christopher, mm-hmm. as well as other people um, involved with the Misdirected Mark network. Yep. And so every couple of days, there is a great new article that you know generally has to do with something uh, either D&D related or gaming related and how to get the most out of your game. Yeah, at least Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but often every day of the week these days because yep. there's so many gnomes now. There are. There um, are a lot of gnomes. Yeah, there's some really good D&D blogs out there, too, that I had put on this list, like uh, Sly Flourish, Mike Schley. Like, yep. His blog is great. DM David um, often has some things about DMing. Not all the time, but every once in a while he has something that's really good yep, on his James blog. James Itracasso has the World Builder blog. Oh, yeah. I mean, does he still actually update that? He's so busy these days. Yeah, he's busy, but every once in a while something new will go up there. Yeah. Uh, D&D Beyond has a new article practically every day that does a good job of breaking down something D&D related. Yeah, I would say from the D&D point of view, like that is probably the best place to go get um, content to read mm-hmm. for D&D because yep. it's like you said it's there every day you'll learn something and there's yep. excellent writers on that site yeah um, and then of course if you want to get on the indie side of things the gauntlet has a blog I've just been talking about them a lot because I've been reading their blog and and whatnot mm-hmm. and it's, it's a really good blog there's a there's a lot of cool stuff in there um, let's talk about some books I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna really be pimping my friend Phil Vecchione on this one because I put four of his books on here because he wrote a, a series of books about helping you run games but um, they're really good they are really good there's Never Unprepared, which is essentially life hacking for prepping games. So it'll help you prep your games with like process and whatnot and make it easier and cost you less time to prep games. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Odyssey, which is campaign execution and management. And then there's Focal Point, which is about table management. Um, then there's another book from Engine called Unframed, which is a bunch of improvisation-related essays for, for role-playing games. So it's a whole yep. bunch of essays about r- improvisation. From some of the you know, best minds in, in role-playing games. Absolutely. There's a ton of amazing authors on that one. Mm-hmm. And Odyssey and Focal Point have other writers, too. Um, Walt Chanowski, who's written a ton of things, mm-hmm. is on um, Odyssey. And then Focal Point has John Arcadian and Walt Chanowski. Yep. Uh, and then the last book I wanted to mention is Hamlet's Hit Points, and that's written by Robin Laws. And it teaches you all about beat structure. And mm-hmm. I talk about beat structure a lot. And D&D is really good because it has a pretty solid, like, Here's the kind of beats that you kind of want to have in your game, which is like that. They, not that they call them this exactly anymore, but exploration, um, combat, and interaction. Right. So it'll teach you how to utilize those in different ways, yep. um, and and figure out how what kind of beats those are, and like expand your knowledge of how to beat out your games. Yep. It's it's an interesting book in the sense that it really takes kind of literary criticism or narrative criticism, and turns it onto role-playing games to show how to tell those sorts of stories uh, with your games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, uh, it, it talks about narrative flow, mm-hmm. I, I would say, and then it shows you how to mechanize that or at least you know um, visualize that for your role-playing games. Yep. Um, so those are the three spaces that I would say for teaching games and, and how, to, how to find games. I mean, of course, you can go to message boards. You can go to all sorts of places. Right. Um, is there anything I'm missing that you wanted to talk well, about? I mean, the obvious one is the Dungeon Master's Guide. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> might as well go to the actual books that right. matter. It, it it wouldn't hurt to start there and then work your way out from there. Mm-hmm. That is like that is a great place to start. Sorry, I don't know no. why I didn't think to put it there because I was thinking of like third, uh, like yeah. other sources, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think it's probably so obvious we didn't think of it, but you know, if if someone's saying hmm, maybe I will get into DMing, start there. Well, th- then with that, we should probably say once you go there, you might want to pick up Volo's Guide and um, yeah. And Xanathar's Guide, because those two books have a Xanathar's Xanathar's Guide, especially, right? That's got all the news, like, there's a lot of material in there for running games. Right. Some downtime activities, new traps, and so on. So, yes. Yeah, those are very, very, those are D&D specific examples. Yep. Um, Cool. So, I think we should move on to, like, our advice. And this is, like, our high-level surface kind of advice. Because, like I mentioned before, there are podcasts that are dedicated to this. Like, the Misdirected Mark podcast has been doing something similar to this for 326 episodes <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah not not all not every episode's about game mastering advice but a lot of them are mm-hmm. um just go to just go start at whatever's the lo- the farthest one that's in the backlog that's on the website and just go from there but uh as a basis um i think we'll just go back and forth if you don't mind i'll, I'll do the first one sure um just get in there and run a game like just do it. It's fun, and while a lot of the stuff from above can seem really daunting, I mean, we have a skill set as human beings where we are excellent storytellers and pattern matchers because that's what we've done since we existed, mm-hmm. and we still do that constantly. Our whole world is surrounded by stories and storytelling, so you have a lot of stories already in your head. You are just taking that stuff, putting it together, and creating something new out of the stuff that you know. Yep. I would suggest when you start DMing, start small, and start with an intimate group, maybe of friends and family, and run a short adventure. Maybe just run a one-hour or a two-hour low-level adventure just to get your feet under you. Don't try to do too much all at once and see how it feels. And then once you get those one or two hours out of the way, you can go back, evaluate what, what you feel, what you think, talk to the players, see what they think, and that, and then you're well on your way to becoming an expert DM. Mm-hmm. Um. I would say don't try and be too clever, and this is both while you're prepping and while you're running the game. I will tell you that your first idea is almost always perfectly fine. It's good, it works, it's oftentimes not the expected thing, because just because you had that idea and you might think it's obvious doesn't mean that anybody else at the table has that idea or think that, thinks that that's obvious. So don't really second guess yourself, just go with what feels natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always like to tell people to play to their strengths. So if you are someone who's involved in building crafts, build some terrain for your game. Um, It may be outside of the game, but it's what you're good at. So it gets your mind and your and your physical activity moving in that direction. If you're a great actor, um, then during the game, highlight role playing unique NPCs to entertain your players. Um, if you're more into the rules and into the the crunch of the game, then run a tactical game to highlight that that part of the game that you know the best. Yeah, that's I love that advice. Right, like that's amazingly good advice. Figure out what you're really good at and just focus on that to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, go and strengthen up your other stuff later, but right off the bat, that's a great thing to do. Yep. Because uh, that's usually what gets you jazzed about this, right? Because this is a hobby. Like, we're not doing this for, for fun. And, we're not doing this for profit. We're doing this because it's something enjoyable. Yep. Um, source the table when you get stuck. This is a thing that a lot of people don't think about with advice for game masters, especially right off the bat, because you think, like, well, I'm the person that's facilitating and in charge of this game. 
you are not the only player at the table, and while you have a different role from the other players, you can ask them for ideas. You can ask them for help. That doesn't mean ask them like to write this to like give the twist for you. I mean, you could, but like you can you can be like, what does that look like? Help me narrate this. Mm-hmm. Do that thing for me. Like, help me out. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, you can do that with other things too, like the rules. Like, can you help me find this rule? Can you figure out what that does for me? Can you explain that to me? Because this game isn't about winning, right? This game is completely and about this game is about collaboration. And to to piggyback on that, um, when you start DMing, start slow, be methodical. Don't try to rush it. Um, let let the action happen. You can be silent and let the players talk to each other and to you. In fact, encourage that, as Chris just said. Encourage the players to take on some of the burden of telling the story. Um, make eye contact with the players so you can see if they have something to say or you can see if they have a question or you can see if they really don't want to talk right now. You can move on to the next person. Um, just in terms of presentation, look up rather than looking down. Even if you're reading an adventure, you want to be talking forward rather than talking down. Um, that eye contact and that clear communication is something that is so uh, easy that you might forget about it, but so many DMs, especially uh, inexperienced DMs, do that wrong. Um, they they look down, they look away, they don't make that eye contact and communicate clearly with the players. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't stress that enough. And I'm I wanted to I want to diverge a little bit from our our notes to talk about a thing like um, and this kind of goes to your fourth point too, Sean. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're running a published adventure, you do not need to prep your games in the same manner that that published adventure looks like. Mm-hmm. You can have a, a sheet, a one-page sheet that has bullet points on it and then, like, has the stat blocks and, the, and like, a second column. Mm-hmm. It has, like, a small map in the bottom right-hand corner. Like, you don't need all the text. You don't need box text. You don't need to write all that stuff out for you if you don't need it. If you need it, then you should write it out mm-hmm. if it makes you more comfortable because that's the whole point of prep is to make you comfortable to run the game. But you don't need all that stuff. So don't think that you need to pr- to prepare in the same exact way that an adventure is written, because you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need enough to make sure that the game plays. Yep. Uh, that's the thing I wanted to say about that. Um, yeah. Uh, so my, my actual fourth point is, it, it kind of goes along with my third point, um, which my third point was source the table when you get stuck. So that's when you're having a hard time. But the other thing is invest in your players and invest your players in the game by asking them questions during play. So, like, they roll and they hit. Ask them what their attack looks like. Ask them how they fight. That gives everyone a clearer picture of what this looks like in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, when speaking with NPCs and or in any kind of interaction and you're not really sure what the player characters are going for or what they're trying to do, just ask them what they're going for so that you can get a clear understanding of where the scene or where the situation or where the interaction is going. Mm-hmm. Like, those are two real quick hits about what I'm talking about. And that's, that's a good way to, one, invest, and then, two, get a clear vision of what's going on. Yep. And, you know, just as the players might make things up based on your sourcing them, you should be willing to make things up and run the game in different ways based on how the table is flowing. Mm-hmm. If you're running a published adventure, don't be afraid to diverge from it. I would rather have the DM make up something and then later have to change it then spend 20 minutes flipping through an adventure to find the exact name for a certain NPC or an exact description of something. 
you can always change it later. Uh, you can always change it throughout the rest of the adventure, but just keep the game moving. Don't don't feel like you need to have to search through uh, an adventure to get everything exactly right. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, my fifth point actually kind of goes along with my fourth point, which is like when you don't know what's going on, we don't understand what the players are trying to do or where they're going, or when things get like a little bit... Um, when they slow down and you're not and they feel stagnated uh, st- like the game is stagnated ask what they're trying to do or ask what they need help with i mean it's okay to pull out of the play for a second to find out where to go next or what what the next thing is for them so that you can help move the game along because one of your uh primary functions as a game master is you know being the moving force and helping things go along so mm-hmm. It's okay to pull out of the story for a second and get a little meta and be like, all right, do you understand what's going on? Do you need a little bit of help? Am I, what do I need to give you so we can go to the next thing? It's okay to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my final tip is, is kind of different. Um, expect a post-game high. If, if, you are a, a, if you play sports or if you're a performer, Sometimes at the end of the performance, at the end of your game, at the end of your set, whatever, you you have this adrenaline rush that continues to go. You might not be able to sleep. Most DMs who I've talked to after they've DM for the first time tell me about this experience. You know, I finished my game at nine o'clock. I went home. I couldn't sleep till two a.m. because I was just so amped up. Uh, that's going to happen, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a great feeling. It's cool, but but don't be shocked by it. Correct. Absolutely. It's a thing. It's a real thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had it this past weekend. I uh, do. I mean, you, what Sean said is the thing that will happen. This past weekend, um, I ran a, a long con game for two slots in a row. So it was basically we had nine hours of play with a couple of breaks in, in the middle of it. So we played a game for nine hours. Same game one, uh, at a convention. Um, in the first 30 minutes of our game, I took my notes and I physically ripped them up in front of all the other players and said, all right, the things that you all came up with were way cooler than what I was going to do. Let's play that game. And they were all mm-hmm. good with that, and we did. And it was an amazing experience. And I did have a high for about two hours after that game, and then I crashed super hard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, expect that post-game high. It's a thing that really happens, uh, whether you're new or not new. Mm-hmm. All right, um, that's our tips. That's, that's our advice for starting for starting DMs, aside from some of the, like, you know, you should probably know the rules, right? <laughs> yeah, knowing the rules is, is is not the most important thing. The most important thing is just doing it. Yeah, know know the core rules. You know, yeah, you can yeah. figure it all the rest of it out on on the on the fly, right? Like, and in D anD D, the core rules are understand what a what a understand the three different types of D twenty rules. Yep. Um, and understand how hit points work, and understand how spell slots work. Mm-hmm. After that, I think everything else is just at- attached to most of those things. Absolutely. Well, there you go. I hope you all enjoyed that. I wanted to say thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Let's do a few Patreon shoutouts before we get out of here. Miko Froelich, Tabletop Gaming Deals, Victor Wyatt, Brett Camden Wright, Chris Steele, Curtis Y. Takahashi, Dennis Malloy, Mike Amer, Quincy Jackson, The Rainmaker, Richard Wayne, Schmitty, Sean P. Kelly, Noah Ban, Austin Lemke, Blaze Abair, Chelsea Clark, Dan Simmons, David Walker, Don Hugh McCarthy, Drew Smith, Evil Rich, Glenn Siler, James Dracasso, Jason Pitt, Gene Lorber, Jeff Stevens, Jim Morrison, John Just John, and M.T. Black. 
thank you so much for being our patrons. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website. And for $2 a month, you can get a shout-out like you just heard. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes. And you get access to our Slack room for life. Where you can often find me in there, like, chatting with people. It's a, it's a good time. Yep, and if you tag me, I'll be right there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Those help us, even if you're not listening via Apple Podcast, since many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts as their way to rate and rank shows, and that makes us more visible. Yes, it really does. Thank you so much for doing that, folks out there who have already. Um, Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Down With D&D G Plus community. How about you, Chris? Uh, you can hit me up at Misdirected Mark. That is the network Twitter. So, I mean, I will always see that. You can always, you know, just hashtag uh, D&D on there, and I will, I will definitely see it. Or you can go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one, the Misdirected Mark podcast. Chris, Phil, and Bob go live every Tuesday evening at 845 Eastern to break down and get inside games, game mastering, playing games, and game design in an effort to entertain and inform you. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So what are we going to do now, Sean? We're going to go kill some monsters. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D?